Hello, and welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst. We are only 11 days away, just 11 days to go. So about last night, the debate. I don't think it really matters much whether Biden won or Trump won. What came across clearly is that we are still not talking about, as 11 days away from the election, we are still not talking about what we need to be talking about. It took 58 minutes to mention the worst economy in 90 years that everyone seems to be voting on. It took 72 minutes to get to the most important racial justice uprising in the last 60 years with the largest on the streets movement in recorded American history. And it took 80 minutes, 10 minutes before the debate wrapped up to start talking about the climate crisis, the existential threat to our future. And it is even worse than that. The clock ran out entirely before we could talk about one of the most important issues the next administration will confront. That is the concentration of monopoly power in the hands of a few big tech companies. Since they didn't talk about it last night, since it's barely been discussed in this election at all, I am going to talk about it today because I can't, because I'm not corporate media like the debate host last night. NBC, which of course merged with Universal Pictures and is owned by Comcast, which is the largest cable TV and internet service company in the country. For all the control Comcast, NBC, Universal, etc. has on inf information flowing in and out of your home, the scariest thing about this conglomerate is that it is nothing compared to the five big tech companies that permeate our lives. We are talking about monopoly power on an unheard of scale. Now, progressives have always been the enemies of monopoly power. We fought the railroads, the meat packers, the oil companies. We helped break up the phone companies because we know that monopoly power is corporate power on steroids. Monopoly power exploits its workers, exploits its customers, and it tramples its competitors. Monopoly power in the past has been one of our most important mobilizing issues. It's actually not too wonky an issue to show up on the streets and organize around. At the beginning of the 20th century, farmers helped lead the progressive movement because the railroads strangled their access to the markets to distribute their goods. In our moment, Monopoly power is concentrated in these giant tech companies, Google, Facebook, Apple, and maybe the worst of all, Amazon. Europeans are way ahead of us in standing up to these corporate giants, but the reckoning is coming. Now, weren't we proud of AOC when she used her voice to help the movement on the ground block government giveaways to Amazon? You know, the bribe that several New York City Democrats signed on to with a letter inviting them into a building a corporate headquarters near my neighborhood in Queens, locals fought it off and won. And AOC, a local, was a huge part of that fight, scaring Jeff Bezos himself out of the city, at least temporarily. Now that's a true progressive, fighting monopoly power and crony capitalist government. Yet, even AOC, champion of our fight against Amazon, couldn't avoid the tentacles of the Jeff Bezos octopus. To reach young voters, the other night, she went on Twitch, with a get out to vote message and several hours of learning to play among us. Okay, I bet some of you gamers right now just looked up in bafflement or fright. Well, because you're on Twitch all the time, right? Maybe you're even playing Fortnite on Twitch right now while you're watching the Nomi Key Show. Cool. Except not so cool. Because guess who owns Twitch? Amazon owns Twitch. Now, don't get me wrong, Among Us is a great game for progressives to master. You have to spot the imposter who is undermining your group's unified efforts. Sound familiar? 
My problem is not the game. It is the owner of the platform. This is such a perfect illustration of how monopoly power is permeating our lives. To, to, to do her job of reaching young voters, AOC had to use Twitch. To get this show on air, we have to use Apple products, even if they have the blood of Chinese workers on them and rare earth minerals in them. These companies give us services we love, many of them seemingly for free. But in fact, they take our participation in their search or networking or shopping or gaming, and they use it to build vast empires of wealth and power that we become beholden to that we become reliant on. The only beneficiaries of this concentration of wealth are the people who own it. It doesn't trickle down as much as they like to propagandize. Amazon has fought the unionization of workers, like Chris Smalls. It has exacerbated climate change in so many ways. And Jeff Bezos has rolled up billions of dollars in new wealth during this pandemic while his workers were dying of COVID, while they were unprotected. And the trail of Amazon's success is littered with the bones of smaller companies crushed by its market power. Twitch, in fact, was an independent company until 2014, when Amazon outbid Google to buy it for $1 billion in cash. The only competition these tech companies, these monopolies seem to know, is bidding against each other to gobble up other smaller companies. Think about this stat. You know, the standard Poor's index, basically it's like the stock market that Trump loves so well. The five biggest companies are all tech giants. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Google in that order. Even more shocking, those five companies are 24% of the entire index. More concentrated wealth in a handful of companies at the top of the market than ever before. And with all that wealth, comes enormous market and political power. Too much market and political power in the hands of a few corporations. Progressives, they have to say no, however they can, in whatever way and with whatever power we have, as we did in Queens. This will be one of the defining challenges for the hopefully new president, because of course the Obama administration did cozy up to many of these companies as they, these companies exploited laws established by previous administrations. There is no path as individuals to avoid these companies completely. This is actually what this new kind of monopoly power looks like. We actually need government action to break up these tech giants or find other ways to curb their power. If you want, we can stream the antitrust hearings on Twitch. All right, we have a great show for you today. Malika Jabali joins us to talk about how Democrats need to focus more on working class black voters. But first, these are the stories at the top of my newsfeed. NPR reported on the findings of ACLED, ACLED, a crisis mapping project to deduce the parts of the country that experience the highest risk of militia activity around the elections in November. For its metrics, the project assessed which areas of the country showed a law enforcement building relationships with militia, anti-lockdown protests, and heavy recruitment or activity of existent militias. Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Oregon posted the highest risk numbers overall. How many of those are swing states? Trump reposted a clip of a 60 Minutes interview in which he boasts about his intent 
to dismantle the existent healthcare system in America. Quote, I hope that they end it. It'll be so good if they end it, he says in his interview, contradicting the claims of Republican senators that Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation will not be used to take away the Affordable Care Act. So healthcare advocates like Bernie Sanders himself, who crafted that legislation that added millions of people to the ACA coverage. So Sanders fired back at Trump's remarks with the comment, quote, in the middle of the pandemic, Trump wants to throw tens of millions of people off of health insurance instead of expanding the care. Do not let him get away with it. And in terms of women's rights, the ACA is not sufficient to guarantee full reproductive rights and to remove all cost barriers to health care. But as it stands, to lose the ACA would strip many of their health care coverage. So that this is a feminist issue as well. Yesterday, Trump added the White House to a list of 32 countries declaring no international right to abortion. This group was formed as a coalition to reject the United Nations support for reproductive health. According to Mike Pompeo, who attended the signing ceremony, this declaration, quote, defends the unborn and reiterates the vital importance of family. But by contrast, 61% of Americans support safe access to abortions, recognizing bodily autonomy and safety as major priorities. We got a lot of work to do, guys. But first, all right, we'll be back right after the break with Malika Jabali, uh, one of our favorites, to talk about what some of these crises are in the immediate future, the 11 days, how to talk with, engage with, and recognize the needs of a voting base that did not turn out the numbers needed in 2016 because their needs were not addressed. We're talking about working class black Americans, especially in the Rust Belt region. We'll be back right after the break. Malika Jabali is a public policy attorney and columnist for The Guardian and Jen Mag. Uh, she is one of our favorites. And this is, I think, the first time you've joined us. So thank you so much for joining us, Malika. Thanks for having me, Nomiki. I, so I want to start off with something um, that's going viral. And, and I'm, I'm really happy you're on today because I think you're, you, you've, you've spoken about this so, art, you've articulated it so well in the past. But there is um, a clip from MSNBC. I'm going to play it real quick. So give me one second. I am... Totally undecided. I'd write your name in at this point. Usually by now I would have voted already, but I, I'm just not comfortable with either one of them right now. What are you looking for? What do you need to hear? Let's start at the crime bill and the fact that he has not, not only not apologized, not only Joe not, Biden. he is not, he has not only not rectified. Every time he reverts back to well, it was some. The black caucus members in the in the church, but they were with it too. Okay, you fooled them as well. You know, you never said I'm sorry. You know, it's like I didn't do it. I want to hear a ironclad plan. I don't want to hear if this or if that or after the election. Does the presence of Kamala Harris on the Democratic ticket sway you at all? Not no. at all. I don't know who said she had our vote. She does not. We were supposed to grab onto Kamala with the black girl magic, but that didn't happen because she, she didn't right her wrongs. Like, I hold officials accountable. I don't care what color you are. 
And I think that too often we automatically think that because someone looks like you, that they're going to have your best interests at heart. And that's that's just not simply true. All right. So this is this is making the rounds right now. And uh, on one hand, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised MSNBC uh, had the segment. Um and and makes me think that maybe they're a little bit more concerned about voter turnout than they would admit. Uh, what's what's your take on this, Malika? I think it's unfortunate that this is something that they're catching on to less than two weeks before the election. If you just looked at, at voter turnout records from 2016, just two weeks after the election, the census puts out a voter supplement every year, and that was the supplement that actually led me to go to the Midwest, which is where I've done a lot of my reporting on the black electorate. And based on that data, you could see that there has been a an increase in black voters who decide not to vote because they do not like the candidates. Hmm. And if you're not giving people material, anything that's related to their material needs, if you are focusing little on that and focusing on being an anti-Trump vote, you're going to have some problems. And I'll kind of hedge that by saying, I do think that we're gonna have increased turnout amongst some demographics. I think you might find um, among most demographics of, of African-Americans throughout, just throughout the regions, the South, Midwest, the West and the Northeast, I think there is going to be an increase. But what happens is that the black vote gets to be turned into a monolith. So when we had this turnout for Joe Biden and black voters in um, substantially black states, when there was an increase in, in turnout for him, for instance, in South Carolina, that became a story about the black electorate in general. And you had people like me cautioning, as I often did in The Guardian, that this is not representative of everybody. So while I do think that Joe Biden is actually going to win, I think he's going to win amongst black people who vote. I think you are going to have a lot of people who stay home like we did in 2016. So just comparatively, and I'm, and I'm really happy that you started to speak out about this because it was so missing from the conversation. And some folks, I mean, there are folks, uh, historians in particular, um, pollsters even, who started to talk about the working class not showing up and it immediately started, to, it became the white working class missing the fact that really everybody who was working class of all demos did not show up in the numbers needed. But in, in states like Wisconsin, for instance, where notably Hillary Clinton did not set up offices, uh, she had no real operation, pr real program there. She didn't go to Wisconsin. But also there's a, a tremendous, it's extremely segregated, it's the most segregated state in the country. Um, and there is a tremendous amount of voter suppression there because of of, of Republicans and, and Koch brothers. Uh, funding. So, you know, with that being said, in this election, where it seems like they're putting a little bit more energy into energizing votes in the Rust Belt, I mean, at least by appearance and like having an office, maybe, <laughs> do you think that they're, they've amended uh, enough to, to make sure that folks who usually turn out that are working class turn I out? Think, I, I think it's going to be hard to say because this is not a Biden performance election. This is an mm. anti-Trump election. And so whatever the Democratic Party has done or hasn't done, I think is less important than what Donald Trump has done and hasn't done. And a lot of African-Americans are aware of that. So they're coming out, for instance, in, in Georgia, it had like the highest uh, early voter turnout in its recorded history. 
So I think you're going to see a lot of anti-Trump votes. Where I do think it's going to matter is come the midterms. It's going to happen when we, uh, whoever the president is going to be, I think the Democratic turnout is going to, it's going to reflect the attitudes of, of how black voters in the Midwest feel about the Democratic Party. I think it's, it's too early to say right now how that's going to play out and, or how feelings about Joe Biden play out because so much of it is not really about him. If you look at the statistics in terms of voter enthusiasm, it's less than it was for Hillary Clinton. So I don't think it's about enthusiasm for him at all. It is, you know, I just talked to my, I talked to my mom and I'm from Atlanta. So that clip is, uh, was shown in Atlanta and folks in Georgia, black people all over, all over the country are just pissed at Donald Trump. Mm. So, so these voters in particular, um, that were watching, I mean, who do they represent? Are these like there was a lot of stuff that was missing from that clip that I would love to know. Like, do they normally vote? Um, you know, who do they vote for? Are they Democrats? Are they, I assume so, but how do you speak to voters like that? What does Joe Biden need to do? Maybe not now to election day, but afterwards to make sure that we keep a, what are young voters. I mean, all of those women were young, um, engaged in, in politics and the, and the Democratic Party now that Trump's out, hopefully out. I think you have to look at what was engaging them before. And so during the Democratic primary, it wasn't um, a Kamala Harris, as they mentioned, it wasn't Kamala Harris that were actually bringing out black, younger uh, female voters. If you look at even an Essence poll, and Essence does not represent a radical, you know, left-wing media outlet. It's pretty mainstream uh, and it appeals to middle-class women. But the number one choice that they decide, you know, that they uh, chose in polling that Essence did was undecided. So most of them didn't know who they were going to vote for. Uh, the second was Bernie Sanders. And I think Joe Biden came in third. So Amazing. from that clip, you see that you have younger black women um, and younger black men. There is a generational divide there. And the things that Bernie Sanders were was talking about were the things that affect their material conditions. I know a lot of anecdotally, a lot of younger progressive black women who are also um, supporting Elizabeth Warren. And so I think you have to look at what were they talking about? Canceling student loan debt. Black women uh, in particular, they have the highest rate, they have the highest student loan debt burden. Hmm. I have not heard Joe Biden really talk about that publicly. I believe he has it in his plan. He's talking about these huge uh, like unemployment and things that he's gonna provide and be the next uh, FDR, but then he, He's kind of talking on both sides of his mouth because then he also have he has an associate who's reporting that well donald trump with his tax cuts they eliminated any ability for us to actually pay for these services that we're talking about so i think he has to convince people he can he's going to pay for this and that he's committed to it and he has not shown that yet man uh let's talk a little bit more about the the voting breakdown of the primary um you know when, when you look at the black vote in the primaries just in general. I mean, we could get specific in South Carolina if we want, but, you know, there's obviously like, there's a lot of factors that, you know, the the, the, the closed primary versus an open primary, a lot of factors that um, change the way uh, turnout looks, but depending on the state, but in general, how does it break down generationally? You definitely, at least in the, the earlier uh, contest before we had the threat of coronavirus, there was a right. clear generational divide, even in the South, between the two you know, front runners, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. In um, South Carolina, that was the case. In North Carolina, that was the case. I mean, in every just about every contest, you saw a generational divide, even if you went down 
to a, uh, a level of looking at racial demographics. There was a, a demographic breakdown between, I'm gonna say voters who were 50 and older and those who were uh, like 49 and younger. Because a lot of those uh, younger and, you know, people kind of change, they shift the, the goalposts of what a young voter meant. So, you know, being 49 and 48, you've lived, you've got a mortgage <laughs> or being in your 30s. These are people who actually supported Bernie Sanders in, I think, amounts that people weren't really expecting. Yeah. So that generational divide is very clear. But even in some states that were more liberal, you did see a um you did see a, a lead for joe biden in south carolina in particular where everyone is talking about this most people who voted for joe biden in that election did not decide you know weeks in advance they decided within the last three days hmm. and bernie sanders was actually leading in polling amongst african americans just three days before south carolina so to really? me that yes to me that is that the clyburn effect yes to me that clearly states that this is a, an anti-trump what do what does the Democratic Party say is going to win? And let's just go with that, because people were still undecided three days before the election. Hmm. I mean, that also shows how powerful Bernie's message in the last four years has has become and that it really took somebody like a, a, a Jim Clyburn to influence them to realize like, oh, we, we might be warm. We, they may have warmed up to, to Bernie Sanders or other candidates, um, but. Clybert had to say, like, he doesn't have a shot for them to, to move over. It's very interesting. Um, in 2016, there was a concentrated effort to suppress uh, the black vote across the country in specific swing states by Donald Trump, by sending out confusing information, putting people on the ground to disrupt. Um, you know, these are like Roger Stone dirty trick tactics that he's been doing for years. And... Democrats would say it was Russiagate, but I think it was just the, the Trump the Trump campaign trying to suppress a vote. Um, this time around, they're, they're doing it again. How much did it actually influence the turnout? Do you think it influenced the turnout? It's hard to measure, obviously, uh, in 2016. And is it doing, an, I mean, especially with the Kanye in the ballot, like, is it doing anything this time around? So I'm going to have to take a, a step back a little bit just to, with a caveat or the disclaimer that voter suppression is always an issue. Right. Um, that black Americans have faced from poll taxes to intimidation at the polls to uh, the 1960s level of, in of intimidation where we we're just fighting for the Civil Rights Act. So this is something that is ongoing, that we have consistently have to uh, fight back. In my state of Georgia, this is something that we had to fight in uh, 2012. There were strong cases of voter suppression and um, instances of that when it came to even some of our local candidates. So it's a it's a serious issue. Unfortunately, we do not have enough politicians and data scientists who are actually committed to understanding fully where and how it operates. And so you had a lot of, I would say, misinformation, frankly, about the 2016 election. So for instance, Hillary Clinton, she did an address in Selma and said that, well, I lost Wisconsin because of the rollback of uh, the Voting Rights Act after um, the Shelby case, Shelby Beholder. And so because of that, I lost the state. But Wisconsin wasn't one of the states that was under the protections of the, the Voting Rights Act. Interesting. They instituted the voter ID law about, I want to say, two years before the Shelby case occurred because that is just Republican mechanics. They, they yeah. work to 
undermine and suppress black black voters and they know that a voter id law could suppress the vote however when you actually look i'm just looking at wisconsin because that's where i studied the most when you actually look at the limited data frank that is out there um there was a university of wisconsin madison study that showed that about 47 percent of voters in the two most democratic counties wayne county and milwaukee county where it is the uh more black voters than throughout the rest of the state, the top reasons why people did not vote is because they were disinterested and because they disliked the candidates. That was 47% of the um, the amount of non-voters. Mm. But things related to voter suppression, like the voter ID law, for instance, amounted to like two to 4%. So it was like voter ID law or long lines at the polls, registration mm -hmm. problems, those all amounted to four uh, I believe it, it was around 4%, but I'd have to look at my numbers and you can find the study. And I've put it in a number of my articles. Yeah. So to have that minimal amount in the data that shows that voter suppression is actually related to this shows that there's something else going on here that the Democratic Party needs to address. And it probably has to do with their own candidates and poly policy positions. Um, what did it come down to? Do, do you know off the top of your head that the number of votes was like 20,000 votes in Wisconsin or something? It was about 22,000 votes. And the voter turnout for white people actually declined as well. So white voter turnout in Wisconsin declined by 1%, which uh, reflected about 100,000 votes. Black voter turnout was only 47% in uh, Wisconsin. And so that amounted to 88,000 votes that were lost. So 188,000 people, nearly 200,000 people who voted in 2012 did not vote in 2016. And if the plurality of those of a study is showing that those voters did not like the candidates that should that should inform us of what's happening here so in other words they stayed out it wasn't like they flipped to trump now do you have a sense off the top of your head of of how that compares republicans you know in in let's say 2008 uh to 2016 in terms of republicans turnout because the whole thing right now, the whole argument they're making is they can flip the Obama voters back mm -hmm. to the Democrat that went to Trump back. So I did um, a comparison and I'm going to see if I can pull that up so I can give you actual numbers. The Republican turnout was relatively the same. So it's not like mm -hmm. there was a massive and I'm thinking specifically of the three primary battleground states that we've been talking about with 2016. That's Michigan. Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And so in those three states, the Republican turnout was on par with the return, the turnout of Mitt Romney. But what you saw instead was a significant, a inordinate amount of voter decline amongst the Democratic Party base. Wow. Do you think that we'll, we'll hit it with the anti-Trump vote? I mean, I know you say that there's, there's record, but. I think, I think, so I, I don't get um, too embroiled in kind of horse race politics yeah. because I, I, I don't think a lot of us are equipped to really predict elections. You just have no idea. Wisconsin wasn't even considered. It wasn't on that list of battleground states in 2016. So we really do not know how the electorate will ultimately decide. Um, I do sense, though, just based on my visits to the region, I went back to Wisconsin about two months ago, based on my sense in the region and just my interactions with with folks uh, throughout the country, some of my reporting during the debates, is that that is going to be strong enough where I, I do not see a scenario. I don't think it's realistic that Donald Trump is going to win. 
it could happen, but I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. Can only hope. Malika Jabali, I I mean, I have so many more questions for you, so we hope to have you back on soon. But this is such an enlightening conversation. Um, I love how prepared you are, how researched, like you're you're really in this. And it's it's a topic that just is not getting enough attention. And I mean, the fact that this went on MSNBC today, I almost lost my mind, like took them long enough. Like you said, <laughs> 11 days before the election. <laughs> We I've been drumming this beat for three years. I know. So good on MSNBC for finally getting it together when it's like, does it really matter that much anymore? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you should be on there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Malika. We will hopefully see you again right after the election. We can talk about uh, these numbers and how they, they added up. Yes. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right, everyone, uh, we will be back with our panel. We are going to be, it's a Femme Friday, so we have Fatima Iqbal Zubair. Um, she's going to correct me on how I said her name, of course. And Christine Pellegrino, uh, they are both running for statewide offices, state offices, excuse me, um, legislative seats in uh, two major Democratic states. And they're women, and they're progressive, and they're all endorsed by Bernie Sanders. So you definitely want to stay around for that because, I, you know, we got to pay attention to these local races. This is how these voting laws turn. You need more progressives that are unafraid to take on the Koch brother-funded Republicans, and that's what both of them are doing. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm excited. This is Femme Fridays. Uh, I will absolutely say I, I love all of our other guests during the week, but Femme Fridays are my favorite because most cable news, uh, most media, even online, even progressive media, does not profile women, progressive women enough. They're not invited on shows enough. Uh, they don't they don't pitch themselves, which happens a lot. We get a lot of pitches. I would say 98% of them are from men. So we have to, we are doing our best to seek out incredible voices, incredible uh, progressive leaders who deserve this attention. And uh, just the other day, I was at a rally. Um, it was like a California progressives rally. And I was introduced. And if she hadn't been invited to that rally and given a platform, I would have not known about Fatima Iqbal Zubair. Did I say that right? Yes. I did it. Wonderful. <laughs> Fatima is running uh, for state assembly in California's 64th district. She's an environmental and educational advocate. She has been endorsed in her race by Senator Bernie Sanders. And then we have Assemblywoman Christine Pellegrino. She's a former New York State Assemblywoman uh, and an organizer for a teacher's union. She was a uh, teacher for, for, for decades. She is currently running for New York State Senate and also endorsed by Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, Christine, can you just unmute yourself, Senator or Assemblywoman? Excuse me. There we go. So I just want to start off because I, I think this will paint the picture for the entire segment here. Um, Christine was a Bernie Sanders delegate in 2016, and that's how I got to know her. We were part of the delegation together. And soon after uh, the primary, uh, you know, everybody was getting really activated. And, you know, she's also an environmental activist. And we were showing up at anti-fracking events together and uh, demonstrations for Standing Rock and and when I was doing stories on charter schools, I would always call her up and say, OK, tell me what's going on, like, because New York State um, is is severely underfunded when it comes to public education, despite being a Democratic state, as California is, too, which is why I wanted to talk about this. But Christine decided in a special election after Trump got elected, uh, there was an opportunity for her to run for assembly. And within four 
months of Trump's election, she flipped her Long Island district, which won with Trump by 20 points. She flipped it 40 points and won. And I think there's a message here in that a lot of these districts across the country that we just haven't played in, um, we thought Democrats thought were unwinnable, can be won when you have a working class candidate talking about issues like funding education and environmental. So now uh, Assemblywoman Pellegrino is running against a Republican uh, state senator and in Long Island. And it's actually a district that's more Democratic leaning. So, Christine, uh, can you just talk a little bit about your district and some of the key issues that are at stake uh, in your district alone? Sure. Thank you so much, Nomi. I can't um, thank you enough for your help and support and to be here today. I'm a um, little bit off the campaign trail um, today. Um, some of the important district the issues that we've always faced are um, funding our public schools, supporting our environment, protecting our coastline. Um, and something that you might be familiar with is the overdevelopment of um, of our community and the influence of real estate and how we have politicians that are in the pockets of real estate. The industry um, is infiltrating and, and it is something that's affecting us here on Long Island as well. Um, and that is taking money out of our um, and away from our children. Mm-hmm. And we lost we your have video, a Christine. Senator. Christine? There you go. Oh, there you are. Um, We have a senator who's in the pocket of the real estate industry and takes money away from the funding of our schools. And and we have to make sure that um, we have somebody who stands up and fights for every dollar that we deserve. It's it's interesting because there's a similar fight happening in California. Uh, You know, there there are two industries that basically held up the New York State Senate, uh, for those of you who don't know, up until two years ago. For decades, uh, in New York State, a Democratic state, you had a Senate that was elected to be Democrat. You had eight senators that were Democrats caucusing with Republicans, holding up the Senate, but they were all funded by real estate developers and charter schools. And those are the two industries that were holding everything up, everything up, Uh, reproductive rights, reproductive justice, you know, safe issues, uh, gun reform legislation. So in California, you have a supermajority, Fatima. Um, You know, what's going on in your in your district right now? Oh, my gosh, so much. Uh, A lot of the similar issues as uh, Christine talked about. But it's exactly that. Like, I mean, as a state, we have the most wealth, uh, which is good if you're using it right, but it's unfortunately in the hands of the many billionaires we have in the hands of corporations. And we see what's happening during COVID is that we see folks losing their jobs and losing homes while, you know, <laughs> these corporations and billionaires are getting richer. So it's it's a completely rigged system and the wealth is definitely not distributed in the right way. Um, we have one of the, you know, lowest uh, funded school districts uh, here as well in LAUSD. And like, you know, as a teacher, like I, I saw that firsthand. I saw... Um, I saw how much that impacted my students um, because there's so much you can do and how hard a student can work, how much a teacher can bring, but then there's limits in when resources are limited. And um, there was a lot of that. So there's definitely that issue. There's the issue of the cost of college. It's so expensive in California as well. Um, You know, my son has autism and just like our state funded pre-K is really not funded well at all. There's also like a lot of, you know, drilling that's happening or say a lot of fracking. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is same, similarly uh, to what you just talked about. 
um, there are great environmental bills uh, like a buffer zone bill that was blocked by Democrats. You know, we have mm -hmm. no excuse here uh, to not pass these bills. We supposedly have a Democratic uh, supermajority in both houses and a Democratic governor, but there is this over-dependence on oil because of the money in politics. So that's a huge issue as well. I mean, we also have the largest homeless crisis in the entire country, mm -hmm. which, you know, if any state could solve it, it should be us because we have the means to do so, but we're choosing to, again, the same story, put it in, put our funding in the wrong places. Um, so those are some of the issues here as well. And yeah, that, that are really urgent to solve. I mean, people's lives are on the line. What is your race uh, looking like right now? Are you, who are you running against? Yeah, so I'm running as a, as a Democrat um, against Mike Gibson, who's also an incumbent Democrat. Um, and it's you know, a top two. I'm sorry, just to, just to make it clear, in California they have this thing called the jungle primaries. So yes, yes, you can have a runoff between two Democrats at the top. Um, yes, not always a Republican or a Democrat. Yes, exactly. Yes, and our, our district has historically went blue, but to me, he has actually you know voted in line or worse than some of the uh, Democrats. You know, uh, you know, it's, and and it's it's why he got a 22 percent on his Sierra Club report card this year. He did even worse the years before that. Um, he's the second biggest acceptor of corporate money. So his policies are, you know, directly impacted by that. And, um, you know, there was a bill up there where we could have ended qualified immunity. Um, and, you know, Black Lives Matter had to do an action against him because he was stalling this bill. He had a last minute, you know, yes vote and, and the speaker didn't bring it on the floor. I mean, conveniently. And this could have really changed the way we did things in our state. You know, in, in the span of my campaign in two or three months, we had three black boys get shot, uh, you know, in our community. Uh, with no, you know, evidence released, with no really investigations happening. Um, and, you know, and, and yes, I'm running against a Democrat, but honestly, I wouldn't be running for this seat as a first-time candidate if my assembly member was doing a good job. And with what I've seen my students going through and my community going through, like one of these shootings was 10 minutes from my own home. You know, I have a son, you know, um, and so this is personal to me as well. Um, it's just, it's not right. It's, it's really not right. And um, he's been there six plus years and... Um, you know, it's just, he's clearly, you know, his record shows it. And, you know, funny enough, I'll bring this up today. He released a mailer um, attacking me, um, saying that apparently I'm lying about my his record when everything, by the way, <laughs> Nomi, is uh, cited. It's all, I mean, you know, you know, uh, you know, Assembly member, Christine, how your votes are public. I can't make anything up. Your funding is public. It's what you report. I can't make anything up. And we've done nothing of the sort. We run an honest campaign, but he's obviously threatened uh, by the Bernie Sanders endorsement, by uh, the amount we've been able to fundraise. Um, and I don't know. My husband was like, this is good. I'm like, yeah. Oh, but it's definitely good. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's defensive. I mean, if yeah, he's sitting yeah. there saying his response, I just saw the front of that mailer, is like right. lying. Like, that's it? Right. Right lying, <laughs> lying about Gibson's record? And then that's it. And so... Yeah, and I'm bankrolled I mean, by special interests. I'm apparently bankrolled by special interests. I love, I love that. I love the new. Well, that's also there's also a racial component to that, um, which is like let's call that out as we see it. But that that's their that's their jam. Um, so so Assemblymember uh, Pellegrino, you know you. The reason why I, I think two things are happening here, right? In New York, while it's a Democratic state, it's extremely tight. So if you have you know, dollars to spare for either one of these candidates here, Fatima or Christine, please do so because these are races. I mean, we love our, our congressional members. We love the ones that are in safe districts that are there fighting for us. But right now you have folks that are in really tight races locally that don't have the national presence, even when they're endorsed by Bernie Sanders, 
you know, he's endorsing a lot of candidates. So we have to do all we can to help them by their last mailer to fight that off. So, uh, Christine, you know, you're you're running against a Republican and they're they they're out for blood. Like in New York politics, they want that Senate back. There is a majority, but they need a supermajority so that there are more voices like yours and 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 Jabari Brisbart, who's going to be uh, he's going to be a senator. He doesn't have a, a, a real contested race now. Um, but Christine, you're on mute right now. Can you uh, um, tell us a little bit about your opponent and his record? Yeah. So, so my opponent is a Republican. He is one of the last remaining of the Long Island Nine. He was what is that one mean, of the, Long Island Nine? So the the bastion of Republican senators from Long Island who sort of came in under this red control of the Republican Senate that did hold up um, common sense gun legislation and women's health, safety, and how about electoral reform that we currently enjoy, right? We have early voting now. We have absentee ballot curing bills that make sure that every ballot is counted. Um, Really important legislation that has been moved forward. How about the Women's Reproductive Health Act that was passed in 2019 when the Senate finally flipped, um, which he voted no as a minority member. Um, You know, we have a a, a potential for the abolishment of Roe v. Wade. We we can't thank New York enough for protecting our women's health, um, especially if we're going to lose the Affordable Care Act, potentially. Um, These are really incredible times that we're facing. Um, It definitely doesn't go far enough, and there's certainly much more that we can do. Um, the, the funding and the expansion of charter schools and the money that that takes out of our public system is unconscionable for what it does to minority children. Um, and the, the, the price that that pays for, for every one of us, right? And the, the, the false pretenses that that uh, privatization model is played um, so he's and and he sort of plays himself off as a moderate. Like he's got he's got talking points on both sides, a little something for everybody. He walks back his support for gun sense safety because he knows that this is a blue district. This is a district that does have more Democrats than Republicans. He he understands he's a marginal member. He's kind of on the ropes. He won't say anything that ties himself too much to Trump. Um, you know, but he is out there putting government now with black lives, you know, with blue lives matter, right? And that is sort of an abomination, right? You know, not that we shouldn't. Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. basically, I mean, it, right. has been, it has been what two years ago, uh, Martin O'Malley, or three years ago, Martin O'Malley was saying openly, <laughs> like all lives matter, whatever he said. Um, right. It is now a QAnon slogan. Like they're selling flags. Like if you have one of those flags, you are associated with QAnon. So I think this is this is so important for folks to understand. Like you're in a Democratic district, and this right. guy is like right. one of the leftovers from this yeah. era. And right. and and folks, right. like this is the stuff you got to pay attention to. Christine's right. voice right. as a teacher. Right. Both of you are teachers. Yeah. Your union members, your organizers, yeah. your Bernie Sanders endorsed. Your right. activists on the ground. You're both involved in environmental politics, which is also an issue that that cuts both ways. Right. You know, Christine, you know this. Right. There are Long Island. And he sells like, himself as an environmentalist as well. He's got a good record because it's easy to say I check the boxes on the environment, 
it's it's easy to yeah, put well, but he was in the Republican to, legislature uh, holding up all the environmental legislation. It's like a sure, to say that. But, sure, sure. You know, and it's it is it is not hard to vote right on some of those key bills um, and come out with a report card. Um, and I say it has to go beyond that, right? We have yeah. to have the right legislators doing the right thing for the issues as the minimum, not, you know, that that should be the jumping off point, right? Yeah. That, that can't be the only thing. You can't just show up um, and, and say that that is the only thing that you're doing to earn the trust of the people. What else have you done? And what have you done lately? Certainly as a minority member, you can't deliver the funding that we deserve right. and you don't represent the values of our district any, yeah. anymore. Um, you because we're the majority. Beyond, so if you, yeah. if you go yeah. in, just yeah. like Fatima, yeah. if you go in in a majority, if you're not right. doing something while you're in the majority, right. and he's obviously right. in the minority, even right. if he's for whatever he says he is, but you have more goes, power. Yeah, it goes a little bit beyond that. At this point, our progressive agenda needs... Uh, a, a suburban progressive. Uh, it needs champions in the suburbs in order to defeat the idea that these are only city progressives that are going to carry these issues because we have a concentration of uh, liberal or progressive people who live in, um, you know, in my neighborhood, in the urban <laughs> centers and in the red districts or the purple districts, people don't go for that. People don't care to support those issues when we know that what we what we care about are the same things. What we care about is health care, the environment, school funding, a clean air, clean water, making sure that our, our, our communities are safe, that our our politicians are not bought by the real estate industry. And by the way, the real estate industry and the billionaires are playing very heavy in making sure that moderates are building a wall um, and securing their um, their votes to hold off. Hmm. We need a we need we need progressives, a coalition to 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 fend off um, yeah. a moderate attack and put put forth some of that legislation that we that we desperately need. We want a tax code that is going to get the funding for public schools. We need progressives in order to champion that. If we want a New York Health Act that puts yeah. forward good health care, we need progressives it's, to do that. Just Medicare for all. Yeah. Right. Right. So Fatima, you're 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 part of that. I mean, you want uh, you know you, you have one of these moderates that is is holding up stuff um, that they've invested in, even with a supermajority. So, tell us right now, like, what are you planning on doing the next eleven days until election, and how can folks? I mean, for both of you, I'd love for you to just like uh, give us a path forward. What's in in the final minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um... I never thank you for having me on the show in the beginning. So I just thank you for, for having me as well. So I forgot that. But um, it's such an honor to be here. Yes, um, I do have a moderate who's doing that, who is, by the way, raised about, a, you know, Cal- I forgot to mention this. California politics is very expensive and our districts are big. Uh, so we have about like 270 plus thousand registered voters. And, uh, you know, I like, you know, I, I my goal was to raise like about 600,000, which is actually really low. He's raised almost a million and a half dollars. So I want folks to understand nice. that. And it's 99% like all from, you know, these big, uh, you know, oil company donations, um, casino donations, payday lenders, real estate, you name it. So 
you know, my donations are 99% the other way, individual and, you know, uh, corporate pack free and everything. And so honestly, what I'm feeling in my mind right now, that I'm feeling most anxiety about it is you, 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 you said it right, Noamki, like I'm actually trying to fundraise another 40, 50,000 these last seven days, because honestly, we've sent out our mailers. He knew probably this would happen. Um, and if we don't raise the money, we wouldn't be able to defend ourselves at this point. And that's unfortunate. Like, you know, we've exposed his record, but at the end of the day, voters are busy. And if they're seeing more from him than me, I mean, that's going to be unfortunate. It's not me, right? It's not about Mira Christine here. It's about people's lives. Like it's mm-hmm. about black boys not getting shot. It's about that's having fun. clean water, which I didn't have at my school. It's about, I mean, it's about good schools. It's about making sure people, like these policy affects people's lives at the end of the day. Like this is politics, yes, but people's lives are affected. And so like, basically when people donate, I want them to know that like, you know, in getting us, we're just the vessels. We are simply going to be listening to the voices and getting hope, hoping to make our lives better. You're living in the district, our family's lives and the lives of our neighbors. That's what it's about. And, you know, Christina, I just want to address my opponent did the same thing all of a sudden I, I had debated him earlier and you know california passed a very preliminary green new deal it's it didn't really pass it they introduced it and it wasn't really nearly far enough um but he you know miraculously signed on to it yesterday as a co-author like i'm like all because i had been attacking him on his environmental record and you know all of a sudden um he's like i i've done especially well this session especially on the environment when he's one of the lowest voting you know the worst voting on the environment and so they'll do anything to just really get elected and they'll lie and i think that's the difference between me and christine we won't lie like we'll we can defend our record we can defend our community work right and i think that's the saddest part that they can buy this election unless we get donations and so yeah like i hope we can my donate my website is fatima for assembly.com and if you can donate generously in california our maximum donation is 4700 um and so if you which is you know, good and bad. But if you're able to right now and you're not real estate, you're not, you know, from the oil companies that you can donate, please yeah, use your privilege. Absolutely. I'm not going to say no, um, you know. Well, because uh, just to put it in perspective, like a mailer yeah. is like at least 30K to mail out. Yes, and you need a few you days know. to yes, do it. You have yes. to. I want yes. people to understand, like, it's great that these endorsements right. come last minute. But if you right. have that money earlier, if you have those coalitions earlier, you're really able to fend off these attacks earlier. So, Christine, um, mm-hmm. You know, you're, you, 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 same exact situation. This yeah. is, you know, they, they, they pound progressives. Uh, if you, you could take in 30,000 to, to what's, what are the limits in New York? This is going to blow your mind, guys. Uh, well, the limits in a Senate race are 11,800. So if there's anybody out there with a $10,000 check to pour in, that is a, an amazing gift at the end. Um, and, and what happens generally is that everybody coalesces, coalesces around one or two candidates that they think are the sure thing, right? That's so right. everybody pours in and they want to be part of the winning coalition and we understand that we all want to see good victories and we don't um want to deny that for sure but to then spread the wealth right awesome. make sure that everybody who has a shot to win should win and can win um because we absolutely have the ability to win but he's already tied us to bernie and made that a bad thing so we think that that's actually a very good thing we're proud of our oh, yeah. ability because you have like to... a ton of teachers too right like yes. long island has yes. more teachers yes. than anywhere in the state yes. Yes, so but unfortunately, course, that's you know, a little bit of a and, harangue. And you're yes. a teacher too, so let's just make I'm this very clear. Too. Teacher a, running against a Republican who doesn't like Bernie Sanders. Yes. We've made lots of contacts on the ground with actual everyday teachers who support our effort to be the teacher voice in this race, who want to have a teacher voice in the Senate. And we're um, very grateful 
for all they know. of our support. Yes, they, they know that they, yes, they, they that do. they held it up. They held up yes, all the funding. Yes. So awesome. Yes. All right, where can we're going to put all of your links in the in yes. the descriptions, guys? Eleven days. You know, right. this is how we win elections. If right. they're going to pound them with negative ads, if they're going to do the smears, this is one thing I really want folks to understand. It is right. not easy to run as a progressive woman, as a working class woman. You For have sure. to hit all these other metrics that. In general, like with with Democrats, they're never going to look at you. But then you have to like raise a certain amount of money, have a staff before even the big progressive names come in and say, "Okay, now you get the endorsement. It takes so much more work. You don't have all the wealthy friends. You don't have eleven thousand dollar donations or forty seven hundred dollar donations. And then, you know, you just just get enough money. And if you could just take it through the end. So that's what matters. Um, you know, this is when they it can really make a difference. So if, if you have extra funds, please, please, please. Uh, support candidates like Fatima and Christine, and uh, we'll we'll be highlighting many more in the coming weeks or in the coming eleven days, I should say, uh, and and making sure that we have strong progressive voices in both California and New York, who are going to be. If we look to California and New York for leadership because they do have the majority, we need progressive voices there so they can actually push it. And then as these states go, you can do it more in other states. So I want to thank you guys um, for for egals for joining. And this is like my favorite day. It's from Friday. So thank you so much for everything you do. And uh, we'll be watching and cheering you on on Election Day. Thank you, Nomi, for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And and good luck, Christine, to you as well. She's on mute, but she says thank you, too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because you guys are working. So it's like, you you know, we want to get you (laughs) in the middle of your campaign. (laughs) Thank you, too, as well. The campaign trail is very hard. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. Bye for now. Bye. All right, everybody, thank you for, so much for joining today's show. Uh, we are going to be doing a lot of election commentary next week. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, we're planning a big election night event, too, so a uh, day event. So definitely mark your calendars. Election day is, of course, uh, Tuesday, November 3rd. Uh, so make sure, if you aren't already subscribing, and join us on patreon.com slash the Nomi Show. In the meantime, we are putting up a bunch of special interviews. Uh, today I'm doing one with Professor Harvey Kay, who I believe is in the chat right now. We're going to be talking about how Bernie Sanders is being floated as the labor secretary. And if you missed last night's debate, you can watch it on our channel. You can also watch the commentary. We had Michael Figueroa from The Humanist Report join after, and we talked for about an hour about the debate, what's at stake uh, the next 11 days, and what we can do as a movement starting Election Day. That's when it matters, not after inauguration, starting Election Day uh, to pressure hopefully Joe Biden, into making sure that the appointments to the cabinet are progressive. Uh, And that's what I'm going to talk about with Harvey Kay today. Uh, But make sure to check those out. And we have another interview going up with Dr. Jim Zogby talking about Lebanon. Really important interview. That'll be up on Patreon first extensively. The full interview will be on patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. Uh, We're also going to be doing something on Bolivia and Armenia. And if you didn't see the Golden Dawn interview yet, definitely check that out. It's really fascinating. I definitely recommend you listen to that interview. Special thanks from yesterday, Raul Ventura. Thank you so much for the donations for a new camera. We are are trying to do that. Um, I need something that I can work with a little bit better. So if you have a few extra bucks and want to throw it into Super Chat or anywhere, eternally grateful. Of course, if you're a patron, that's that's even better. Uh, thank you to Professor Harvey Kay uh, for mixing it up in the live chat and uh, MIDI Doctors for working the algorithms. And of course, Bob the Mod for keeping the chat room honest. Much love to you all. We will see you next week uh, on Tuesday. 